very least, I guess I could say my name. Because <laughs> that's what my husband wanted me to do last time. Just say your name. So thank you for joining us for this second podcast of the Real Women of Church Ministry. And I'm Robin Wooten. And I'm Elizabeth Mindeman. I think my husband is right about everything. Well, almost everything. There are certainly things he's not right about. I mean, <laughs> the, the only thing we really argue about is, um, and it's funny, the two things that we've ever really argued about, music, like, the, we, we, have, we have pretty different tastes in music, <laughs> and fashion. <laughs> like, we had that whole thing about hoodies and what qualifies as a hoodie. <laughs> and then we've also had fashion discussions about color. Like I, if, if you were to guess between me or Rob without really knowing us, like who's more fashionable, who would you say? Mm. And don't worry about hurting my feelings. <laughs> Probably Rob, I guess. Yes, that's the correct but, answer. I kind of okay. led you, I led you into that answer. Um, <laughs> I am not fashionable at all. I would wear, I would have like five t-shirts, two pair of sweatpants, and maybe one pair of jeans for the rest of my life. If I could, if I could get away with that, I would do that. Um, my husband, however, insists on buying me things that are colorful. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, is a joke between us because I, I really have a hard time wearing bright colors in public. <laughs> and I'm sure that says a lot about me that I don't necessarily want to say. But, um, yeah. and then, you know, like, he'll, he does not want me to wear, like, I would just wear the same baggy sweater, like, every day if I could, um, because I love it and it's comfortable and it's who I am. <laughs> but all that to say, um, most of the time we agree on all the things so (laughs) it's so funny when you talk about fashion because I think like I I've never been fashionable or on trend or anything (laughs) until after it's gone um or I it's clear to see a trend is on its way out because that's when I want to pick up (laughs) whatever um but like I never wear I never I've never worn makeup I just I'm more about comfort more than I am about you know what I look like maybe necessarily. And, um, this week I, we got a grocery order and Walmart has been giving these bags of like free things in with the, in, with the order. And, um, this last week they gave this bag of like all, it's all skincare product and makeup and all this stuff. Right. <laughs> and so there was like these eye pencil, this eye pencil in it. And my oldest son, he was like, what is this for? And I'm like, here, I'll show you. So I brought him in the bathroom and I'm like showing him how I use it on my face. Right. So then I was like, oh, I might as well just put some eye makeup on. Right. <laughs> so he lost interest and left. And when I came out of the bathroom, he was like, oh, you look goth. Like what happened? <laughs> this is why I don't wear makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> Anyways, that was a different call. Yeah. yeah i'm all about what's comfortable me too me too <laughs> i mean especially as the older i get you know the more it's like i i can't be bothered like i just yeah. i just can't be bothered <laughs> and i'm all for you know my girls are girly girls they are 100 percent girly girls and they want the jewelry and the makeup and the dresses and all the things like we went to go um 
dress shopping for Easter and they were just so excited and they just could not even contain themselves. <laughs> and, um, you know, we went to like Claire's or some other, I can't even remember what store it was, but it had all, you know, like jewelry and hair stuff and all those things. Yeah. And uh, they were all about it. They loved it. And I'm just like, okay, I really need to get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we came home with some bling that day for sure. <laughs> and they're like, mommy, uh, you should have this. And they would take out like the gaudiest, <laughs> ugliest necklace. Yeah. Like, you need to wear this, mommy. It's so pretty. <laughs> like, no, I'm like, good. I'm good. No, thanks. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, okay. <laughs> and um, today we're going to be talking about a couple of specific overtures that will be presented at General Assembly this year. And I just wanted to kind of introduce before we dive in over, the overtures. If you haven't ever read one, there's um, a, a certain format to them, which I really appreciate. I mean, I know it's uh, pretty formal. But one of the things that an overture has to do is lay out uh, why. Why are we even discussing this? And what what's the rationale behind it? Um, and I really appreciate how we have there's these, usually these two sections, the whereas section, which is kind of laying out all of the, the things that, I mean, to some degree, all the things that we can agree on from from the beginning, um, kind of foundational truths about what we believe about theology, about ecclesiology, um, and just kind of where we're at currently. And then it goes into a therefore and, and a resolution of some sort. Like, here's, here's where we're at, here's where we wanna be, and um, let's build the case for, for this overture. Um, a lot of times the overtures, I've I found that m most of the overtures are some kind of amendment to the BCO, to the Book of Church Order, just saying we need to um, change the wording. Maybe the wording is vague or archaic or just doesn't, um, you know, just doesn't make sense. And so we need to clarify it or it's some kind of the overture could be some kind of call to action, like we don't understand this. And so we want a committee to get together and to study it and to present some kind of report to us about this issue. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to say from the beginning, uh, as we go through all these overtures before General Assembly, um, you know, I, I think it's important for us to talk about these things as non-voting members, like um, Elizabeth and myself, who are our pastor's wives. And so we're a little more invested maybe than your average churchgoer, because these are the things that are important to our husbands. Um, but I think also even before I was married, I was interested in how all these things kind of came about. And I you know, the idea of discussing them on kind of a lay person's level is that, uh, you know, these are decisions that are being made that end up in some way representing the PCA. And so um, not knowing, not knowing what's happening to our denomination or not really understanding some of these decisions that get made 
you're kind of, you know, as a, as a member of a PCA church, you've, you vowed to devote yourself to the, the peace and the purity of the church and to just kind of be like, well, other people are going to make those decisions and I'm not going to pay attention. You're kind of putting yourself in a dangerous spot really, because you're saying, you know, people are going to make these decisions that I don't agree with. And I think are, are incorrect, or I think are not biblically sound and they'll make these decisions and you won't even know that that's part of your denomination anymore. Um, and I, and I feel like that's, that's just a dangerous place for any of us to be in. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking through overtures and specifically those overtures that I think affect us as women, I think is really important for us to be talking about in terms of how we um, see our ministries as women, what part we play in our local churches. And, you know, I don't want it to seem like we're being divisive in that we're just bringing up issues to complain about them or to you know correct people necessarily we really just want to have conversations about how do we how do we see these issues as women in ministry and what does it mean to to us and how we uh, go about our church lives and so that's why we're talking about these things I think even just understanding the layout of an overture is helpful because you can get all caught up in the whereas, 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 therefore, let it be further resolved. And it's like, it reads a little bit more, not the way you would talk necessarily, but I think it's helpful. In the <laughs> I'm sure someone like, somewhere talks like this. <laughs> I don't know. I said the way I talk. Yeah. <laughs> I should say that maybe. Not the way I talk. But um if I talked like this with my kids, they probably would be like, what happened to you, mom? But, right. um, <laughs> you know, whereas we all agreed in this household that we are you know, this way, <laughs> right. therefore you're doing this. I think it is helpful to be laid out that way. Interesting. I, I guess I'm a, there's, there's an assumption then that all the whereas are things that are universally agreed on in the PCA. Is that true? Well, and that's, that's where it gets tricky, right? Um, because we don't, we don't. There's definitely times right. when you read an overture and you say, well, <laughs> we, right. we don't really agree on that part. And that's that's the part that that holds back the resolution part is that you may think that everyone agrees on this. This is what that we all can start out with, where if we're not all there, we're, we're not on the, I mean, literally on the same page, right? Like we're, we're, we're not there. So yeah, some of these overtures that come out the whereas part, the rationale part is lacking or um, maybe, you know, in some, some cases it's just oversimplifying a very complex issue. Right. Somet- sometimes it's, um, you know, making statements that are even bordering on slander and, and misrepresenting what's happening. You know, all of it comes out of these presbyteries that you know, the, um, how do I put this? Um, you know, so, sometimes there, there are presbyteries that just really get driven to think this is what we need to do instead of um, kind of engaging in more dialogue about how we get there. there. Even maybe just concerns, there's some genuine concerns that may have good basis for the concern, but then it's maybe not 
that desire or that follow through of trying to understand first, right? First understand, is this something to even be concerned about before we move into an overture mood? Yeah. You know, like we said in the last episode, um, like Rob was talking about, you know, overtures can come in and and that's why we have the overtures committee is that you have folks who are going to dialogue about these things and there are legitimate concerns that come up but they are either already kind of answered in what we already have we don't need to change the way the bco states it or it's you know, maybe some of these overtures come out with kind of a misunderstanding of of what the BCO even says. I mean, there could that could certainly happen. Yeah. And I think more often than not, some of these overtures come out of specific cases, like something that happened in a church or a presbytery, and they say, "Well, this didn't work for us, so we need to change it." Um, I mean, we're going to get to some of those overtures. There's, there's a bunch out right now for our, um, cases of investigation and censure and all that kind of stuff, because every church kind of handles things differently. And so one of the big issues is that, you know, we do have a lot of autonomy um, within the PCA, uh, which we need to. I mean, we're a good faith denomination, and so we're going to believe the best in each other as often as possible. But then there there are guidelines for how things are supposed to go. And when churches and their sessions kind of shoot from the hip and they don't do what the BCO lays out and they don't understand the rationale behind why it's laid out that way, um, they, they get into some big trouble. Yeah. And you know, to to our point last last time, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of too many ruling elders and probably even teaching elders who just really don't ever think to go to the BCO for help. And, and that's problematic. And so um, anyway, all that to say, (laughs) uh, you know, the overtures that come out are addressing parts of our polity, the, the way you know, procedural stuff. Um, And I don't want to get the words on because there's always specific words for certain things. And, I'm sure someone out there is taking notes on all the things we're going to say wrong. Because um, <laughs> that's, you know, the PCA way. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so the two that we're looking at today, I, I think are really important just to give some background and rationale to why we're talking about them. Overtures 3 and 14 for this year are both. And, that, and so here's the background. I almost overlooked them all together because they had to do with MTW. And I'll be honest about that. Like, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in the MTW manual. But then someone pointed out to me that they were actually dealing with women in leadership. And then, of course, I was like, oh, I should probably go ahead and look at this. <laughs> so basically, these overtures are addressing the way that the committee to the mission to the world, MTW, our missionary uh, arm of the of our denomination, they have this statement uh, called the Statement on Valuing Women in MTW, which is um, 
kind of a, a guideline for how women are going to uh, hold positions within the organization of MTW. And that um, there's a line in there that says that the, the guidelines um, affirm there has been no MTW policy regarding women serving in leadership roles. These two overtures that came out from two different presbyteries uh, are just raising concerns about these guidelines and how it doesn't specify, nor does it prohibit whether or not women can be in leadership positions in within MCW. And then it addresses this idea that anyone who's any position of leadership should be occupied by an ordained elder. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their that's their resolution there. Yes. And so the the statement that they want to include is saying that anyone in line authority over church planting or church development ministry should be ordained elders. I mean, before we, I have a couple questions on this, but before we talk more about it, I just think it's important, like you already brought up, you know, we're going through these because the PCA is our denomination. Our husbands are pastors in the PCA. We love the PCA. This is our, you know, this is our, our church and our denomination. And that I think it's kind of interesting and it needs to be said, I think that in our, in our American culture of consumerism and church shopping, there may be this question of why do you even care? Like if something happens within within the PCA that you don't like, well then just leave and go to another church. I mean, where I live, I could go one block in multiple directions and just go to a different church. And first of all, I can't because I'm married to a pastor in the church. Uh, so even if I wasn't, that's not the kind of mindset I want to have as um, as a member of a church. You know, we take these vows as members of our church. So just for lay people in general listening, as a member of your PCA church, you've taken these vows for the purity and polity of the church, of this church. So it's important, I think, to know these decisions that are being made and not just not just be like, well, if something comes down the line, I don't like it and I'll just go somewhere else. But that's not what we want to do either. We're not just here to pick apart and critique things. We're here because we love the church and um, we would like to see the church be who she's, who, who God has called her to be in reflecting the gospel and his image well in, in the communities that we're in. So anyways, I just wanted to make that statement. But it's really clear not trying to just be overly critical here. So MTW is our, our missionary wing of the, the denomination. And we send people out to all four corners, whatever those four corners are of the earth. And basically our, our mission, like, it, you know, if you were Baptist, it'd be your mission board for, for all of the denomination. And so we have people in, in MTW who are the administrative organization here in the states and so here we have people who um, take care of planning and development in in the sense of fundraising overseeing all the mission, different missionaries accounts making sure they all have health care and all the right paperwork and all that kind of stuff as we send them out to the world and so you have both the administrative branch of what happens to make sure 
you know, uh, we're taking care of our missionaries. And then you have the actual missionaries. Generally speaking, we send out ordained teaching elders as missionaries. Um, I know several personally who have, have done all the same things that any pastor and any PCA church has done, you know, gone to seminary, passed ordination, and are then sent out as, as missionaries to other countries. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that, but um, generally speaking, that's who we send out. Uh, in MTW. And so we have a director who oversees all of MTW, and that's uh, Dr. Kim right now, uh, Lloyd Kim. And he he's ultimately responsible. He's the head of all of MTW. Okay. To me, everything kind of under that, all of the positions under that, um, fall to his leadership if, if that makes sense like he's he's the leader and so I think that's important to kind of distinguish now you know I'm going to get into trouble <laughs> uh so I'm going to say something that I'm not totally settled on but it's it's still kind of uh and that's why we're doing this right like we're, we're right. trying to figure it out together in say in a church like in your local church in the PCA, as of right now, we're never going to have a female senior pastor, director, teaching elder overseeing the church. Like that within the PCA, like there are people who are really concerned about that happening, you know, and we'll keep saying, oh, we're on our way to be the PCUSA. We're, we're really not, we're really, really not. And so um, I need to say that. That said, like in a local church, the way a local church operates, to me, in my mind, the PCA itself will never appoint a woman pastor. Like, I just, I can't see that happening. Right. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into why and whether I agree or any of those things. I don't, that's right. not the point, right? Like, um, so, so you have you have this man who's a teaching elder who is responsible for the life and welfare of this local body, who's in leadership, and who has spiritual authority within this structure. I think is is kind of, I mean, it's kind of parsing out these these positions in ways that I don't think are particularly. I mean, they're not helpful and they're not particularly clear. They, they say um, positions of leadership and line authority. I guess we have to define, we do have to define what that means in order to, because we don't want to add anything. We're not adding anything to scripture. You know, that's not what we want to do. And certainly we don't want to be in places where we're disobedient obedient to scripture but I don't but I think we also don't want to add anything and that you know we don't ordain women and so are they also going to say that we can't send out say a single woman missionary under the guise of MTW right and then can we are we also saying that you know a woman can't serve as a regional director or right or, 
doing some in some kind of administrative position because it's not you know it's it's always um a question of authority for people and I I think we have to kind of parse that out like what does that mean to your job you know as a woman I've been an office manager Mm -hmm. uh for a group of engineers Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am not an engineer and I, I don't don't even like doing math right so but I was able to come in and do things for them that they weren't great at and that I can assist them in their work and you could see you can make the argument that I was over them because I made policies that said this is what you guys need to do but in terms of a workplace environment like does that make me like it can you translate that into what's happening at MTW or in a broader way what happens in a local church Like, should there be no women office managers that work at a church? I don't think you can make that argument. I don't think that, um, you know, it's, it gets, it gets more complicated um, as you go down the line for sure. But, you know, it's just this idea that are we considering what it means to have spiritual authority over someone else? And then are we also saying that the person who is ultimately overseeing, i.e. a teaching elder, ordained elder, who sits in a position of director or senior pastor or whatever, aren't they the ones who, have, who ultimately have the spiritual authority? And can't they then make the decisions of who, who has any kind of authority under them? For different functions and so that my understanding has always just been that it's under the authority of the session within the church and they are the ones who you know ultimately hold the responsibility of making sure what's being taught isn't against scripture or you know like yeah i mean that conversation came up even in in a, another church we had been in with Sunday school, right? Like who can teach, who can teach Sunday school? And we had, in particular, we were doing a Sunday school class at the time on, um, in a direct response to poorly handled situations of abuse within the church. And so the, the woman who was doing the Sunday school class was operating out of a degree in trauma um, counseling and understanding of just just like what security measures and things need to be put in place for children's ministry and this was like anyone who works within the church we are going to offer this as a Sunday school class instead of trying to do this as a separate thing and then that became a huge conversation like it was okay for her to do that because she was under the authority of the session but also her husband stood up front with her you know but he didn't teach anything because he didn't know he didn't have that degree <laughs> he did yeah so it was kind of like just this idea that okay well it's not just her I guess a picture of the authority there but I don't know I don't right know. yeah and I I think that um the kind of impetus behind these overtures is what's at stake because like we started to say earlier on 
you know, we're so much about what women cannot do and making sure women know their place in our structure as a general rule in the PCA. Um, instead of focusing on encouraging women to use their gifting right. and use their skills, and most importantly, to understand how God calls us to do things that God, the calling piece, you know, my, my husband's always harping on this, like, it's the calling piece that we need to iron out for people just because you're good at something doesn't inherently mean that's what you do or that's what you that's the only thing that you should be doing yeah within whatever context you're in but what is God calling you to do you know I I think that you know this kind of you know one, one of the things that kind of occurred to me is, as I was reading through these overtures is this kind of distinction of like secular work sacred work and like we have a workplace environment and we tend to think of that as like a secular environment like we're gonna just do this job and this have these this office that we go to or you know virtually or whatever and then we have kind of these sacred callings of you know life and faith and um we know we know now like there there's no real distinction for us as believers right like we can right Whereas we believe that there's no real distinction. Right? Like it's, <laughs> it's sacred and secular. It's, it's the two together. Whatever I am doing with my life, I, I need to be asking myself, am I called to do this by God? And so ironing out what it means to be called, like how do you know you're being called to do a certain job? And ironing out, like it, it shouldn't be about, okay, I'm not allowed to do these things, right? It should be about, um, what am I called to do? Uh, you know, there's there's the kind of I feel like I this is what I'm good at, and I right. want to make sure that I'm getting affirmed in that. Like that, other people saying, "Yeah, you really are good at that," and I'm not gonna just say, "Well, I think I'm good at it," and so you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. We need to have other people affirm us in that. And then we also need to have the opportunity to do it. And so, um, you know, I could say that, you know, I'm really good at, at I don't know, organizing, you know, someone's office or whatever. But if I don't have a job to organize the office right now, I, I can't do that. That's not, that's not where I'm, I'm not currently like being called to do that because I don't, I don't have that opportunity. Right. Can you hear my husband in the background chopping paper? Yeah. <laughs> I can. He's he's my assistant. <laughs> should I um? <laughs> we should probably edit this part out. So my husband, you know, now that I'm working part time, my husband will like go and get me coffee and make me breakfast and stuff, which I think is entirely um not within his calling. <laughs> I think he could get written up on charges for for uh making my breakfast every day <laughs> your breakfast oh probably not <laughs> my, my husband just said i'm totally called to serve you there you is, go that's the that's right true. answer that's a true story that's the correct answer yeah anyway uh <laughs> we're gonna have to edit all that out. um 
point being that, uh, you know, when, when we're called to do something, God will provide the opportunity, he'll provide the affirmation from other people that, yes, we're good at that, and, and we will have the desire to do it. Yeah. And all that to say, like, I think we kind of shortcut that process by making these statements of, I mean, there, it, it reads to me like it's a, it's a statement of perpetual rejection, <laughs> right? Like it's, yeah. it's like, we are rejecting you on the basis of your gender yeah. to do, ever do this thing. And it, I don't feel like that's the heart of God. Like, I just don't feel like we need that to to you know solidify our position or whatever whatever it is that, that people are doing with these things like I mean it even reads in the overture like just in case people in the future want to try to put women in these positions we need to make it clear for all of posterity that women right. are not allowed in these positions and I just right. feel like that's the wrong way to go about it I feel like it's it's just this overwhelmingly you know negative way of saying are are you really being called to do this are you really right. is this really you may have the desire to serve in this way let's let's talk about that let's you know i mean we could have the bigger conversation of you know if a man feels called to be an elder he comes under care right he goes to a pastor and he says hey i think i'm being called to ministry and then a pastor comes along and says, yes, I think you are. Let's, let's meet, let's do all these things. And it's great. And I love it. And that's what should happen. What if a woman comes to you and says, I feel like I'm being called to ministry. Is it, here's a statement on valuing women and how you're not right. allowed to do that. Right. Like that's not, that's not the way that we approach it. We approach it like this in many ways, the same way let's meet, let's talk about, let's find a godly older woman who will be a great mentor for you to help you understand your gifts and understand yeah. what calling is and all those things. And we just don't, as a general rule, a lot of places don't yeah. do a good job of that. So this seems to be both of these overtures, a direct response to that statement on valuing women. Yeah. Uh, that was approved by a committee on mission to the world back yeah. in 2018. That's correct. You know, we went through this period in the PCA back in 2016, where it's becoming more of an issue, like what can women do? Instead right. of like, just keep saying, we can't do this, can't do that. What can women do in ministry? And how can we better affirm women in their calling and in their gifting? And so that, that committee was formed the report came out in, I believe, 2017, um, where, you know, infamously Kathy Keller uh, was on that committee and signed the report. Um, and, and they came up with, here's, here's the bottom line, like, women can do whatever an unordained man can do. Okay. And, uh, and that now, was accepted. And that was accepted. And, and everyone has to kind of figure out what that is for their what context. Okay. And so, you know, each church is kind of left with the questions of, well, what do we allow unordained men do? And it turns out we allow them to do quite a bit. And so, right. um, you know, it's a question of, 
you know, and this is a, another conversation for another day, you know, like, do, do we have a diaconate, you know, our, our deacons um, who are currently ordained, do we have some kind of, uh, you know, ad- women's council or something that comes alongside the diaconate and says, you know, here's what we, we can contribute to these, you know, to the ministry. Or do you say, yeah. yeah. And then then there's a whole nother, you know, that opens a whole other can of worms about, you know, some people feeling like you should ordain women to the diaconate and then everybody kind of, you know, explodes. (laughs) Right. um, Is that necessary? Yeah. Like, do you need the title and the ordination to do the ministry or can we be, um, can we, just can we do be it? okay with just doing it and just right, just right. doing what we're going to do anyway? And so, yeah, I mean, then then there's the case of like, do we have some kind of advisory council of women who serve the session, right? And yeah. who's, who yeah. are people who can talk into some of those issues and have them actually listen to us. <laughs> it was just a whole other conversation. <laughs> but um so yeah, you know, it's all these questions of again, are we just continuing, continuing to like build these fences? And say this is where we will allow you to be, and you're not allowed to cross these lines. Yeah. Or is, or is it a matter of of figuring out how to how to empower women? And I hate to use that word, but um. How, how to help women understand their calling in Christ yeah, and where we should be ministering. Enable, together. support, help them. Yeah, all of those things. The big issues in evangelical circles right now, of course, is this, you know, complementarian versus egalitarian stances on, you know, women and men are completely equal across the board and can do all the same things according to scripture. Or men and women have unique gender roles as laid out by by God in scripture that we need to adhere to. And so um, within those two camps, there's ever widening circles of people who are, um, you know, go to extremes on either side and they end up representing all of us and and which we all know, you know, there's the the Venn diagram of of complementarian beliefs and egalitarian beliefs you know there is that sliver in the middle somewhere Um, (laughs) and so you know it's it gets tricky because you know there are people who want to make you know hyperbolic statements about either side and and it really does I mean there are people working on the data and I think that that's helpful to a certain extent but we all know that the data isn't necessarily um completely the picture of what's happening in our churches and so you may have um you know a local church that operates in a very abusive way towards women that will call themselves complementarian and they're not i mean you know it's um like if you really dig into their theology about about life and faith and and gender roles and all of that stuff there's something else there's something hateful and yeah. and labeling them as see this is what happens when you're complementarian i think is completely 
inaccurate to begin with. Right. <laughs> and just, you know, it's, it's not helpful to the discussion. For my experience, I think it's just, it's, it's a, apparently it's varied within the PCA churches, was, which I was not aware of, mostly because the churches that I had been a part of had women in leadership roles. You know, the first PCA church that I went to had a female youth director. Um, the second one that we were members in, um, there were women prominent and, and a, had a women's council um, that would advise the session. Um, you know, so it just really was not something really on my radar, I guess, until these discussions began to come up like, well, could um, a woman teach this course from a, a perspective of a class that, you know, on abuse and her training and her education is in this, can she teach this course now that they decided to have it as a Sunday school class instead of like a weekend seminar? You know, then that became the question. Well, can she do this? Well, if she could teach it at a weekend seminar, then 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 why not in a Sunday school class? And I guess the the end the resolve ended up being that she could teach the Sunday school class as long as her husband and her husband was up there with her. So it wasn't just her. Um, and then there was the discussion about um, whether or not a a teenage son could join a Sunday school class or a Bible study that his mother was teaching. And that became a whole discussion, you know, like, and then, and then the discussion came into parts, which you maybe have had some of this talk too, is like, well, should we have gender only um, studies? And, and so that became more of the focus than whether or not he could be taught by his mom was more like, well, will he change the dynamic of a woman's Bible study if he comes? because he'll be a male in a, in a group of women kind of a thing. Um, but overall, it was like kind of a shock to my system that we were having a lot of these discussions because I think you and I have talked before, all Sunday school teachers are not ordained elders and they fall under the authority of the session, which is ordained elders. So, so does it matter if that teacher is a female or a male, if they're still under a different, under the authority of our male elders. And that's the question that I think, you know, every session needs to come back to is this idea that we have settled, and I use that word loosely, uh, that anything an unordained man can do, a woman should be able to do. So then you start getting into questions of, uh, you know, authority in terms of a long-range spiritual authority, not, not these, like, one-off kind of experiences. Like, if I get up and teach a class in that time period, do I have spiritual authority for anyone and so you could argue that which people are trying to do that that necessarily implies I have spiritual authority if I'm up front holding the microphone. And I I I think that um, that's it's too that's too broad of a a standard, right? Like you you can't have the standard of anybody 
who stands up with a microphone has spiritual authority while they're talking. It's not what we're saying. And so, uh, you know, I, I strongly believe that any elder and maybe even deacon in any given PCA church should be able to teach a Sunday school class, like, without problem. Should it, just anybody in the church be able to do that? No, they shouldn't. But uh, I think that there are certainly people who are gifted communicators who can speak truths about things in ways that people really resonate with and understand. And I think that giving them a place to use those gifts is super important for our, for our body to exercise all of our gifts with the understanding that we're also saying there are, there, there are people who are set apart to do these things. We strongly believe that. I strongly believe in my husband's, that, that he is a preacher who's been called and ordained by God and set apart and held to a different standard and given double honor and all those things. And I am not my husband and so, I, I absolutely think we need to be clear on that. And I think we, we do a good job of being clear on that. What we're not good at being clear on is that he can say, you know, I'd really like my wife to talk about this because she says it in a way I won't say it. And so I'm gonna give her my mic and she's gonna say some things, right? No. And, and that's, that, that works out for us, of course, as, as pastor and wife. But then you start getting to, you know, just any, any woman who's, who's a member in our church and single or not, that, that needs to be said, um, can have the gifts of communicating in such a way that we can say, in this time period, we're going to give her the ability to, you know, teach but she doesn't have spiritual authority for anybody uh, and, and I think we need to be careful with that and be be more precise about that in the way that we give people opportunities to use their gifts and we're so afraid of that kind of slippery slope again you know like oh give them an inch they'll take a mile right and we why, why are we so afraid of that as a general rule is, is something to be considered. Like why, why are some of these guys, guys constantly afraid of, of that reality becoming, of that becoming a reality? Because that's not what we're asking for. You know, people who want that are not staying in the PCA. They're just not. And right. I wish them well, I do. I, you know, that is the conviction that you have from God, you're a woman and you feel called to the ministry and you feel called to be a pastor. To me, it's go with God. But we're still having this conversation with PCA in such a way that it's met with suspicion. You know, the, the book Co-Laborers, Co-Heirs, uh, put together by Brittany Smith and uh, Doug Servin. I think um, it's a fantastic 
book in thinking through all these issues for women in ministry it kind of lays out a lot of the different issues we're talking about and one essay in particular I thought really drove this home because by Wendy also she does a fantastic job of talking about a church culture that values women and one of the things she says is you know this idea of suspicion like why are we treated with suspicion if women want to be co-laborers and how do we create such a culture throughout the PCA that we promote um, we promote a culture that values both the discipleship of women and the deep things of the word and the use of women's gifts as co-laborers in Christ. How do we create a church culture where women can sharpen their male cohorts, even disagreeing with them at times, uh, gasp, she didn't write that, I just said that, without being viewed with suspicion as nags or control freaks. <laughs> I think that's, you know, my, I, I don't know about you, but in my experience, when you disagree with someone who is, has spiritual authority, yeah, you're just looked at like as someone trying to be a pain. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a troublemaker. And I think in my experience, part of what we thought, you know, Part of why this conversation started to really come up in my mind was because I experienced interactions with a pastor who treated me much differently when I disagreed with him than he did when I was agreeing with him. Um, and that was only, you know, in the recent couple past couple of years. And so I had to ask myself, you know, why has this not come up before? I think I I shared with you that there was a dear friend in my previous church that I was talking to about these things. And I said, I just don't, I've never had an issue with, you know, I've never seen it be a problem, men and women working together in the church. And, and her response was, have you not been paying attention? It was like, well, I don't think I'm not paying attention. I think it's just, I personally have never experienced it. And um, until this moment, and that, you know, I'm talking like three, four years ago, where it was like very obvious to me that the same, the thing that I was saying that was disagreeing, a man could say that thing and would not have had the same response that I was getting. And I know this because it happened, <laughs> you know, um, because I'm not just, I'm not just being hypothetical here. This, this actually happened in my life um, where my husband then would say this, the same thing in a later date and his, the response to him was very different. So yeah, I mean, I think these are things that are, why, why is it if it comes out of our mouth, we're automatically, you know, being divisive or stepping out of line. Um, There has to be a way to disagree respectfully or ask questions even, you know, it's not even I'm disagreeing, you know, there was times when it was just, I need some clarity on this because this what you're saying doesn't seem to fit with these other things I know in scripture. So how does that all work together? Sort of questions. And I have plenty of examples I could give, but I won't. Yeah. So then in regards to like the overture that we were talking about, you know, with MTW, how does that fit into all this? And I think you said, you noticed that the report for General Assembly that MTW is putting through for this year, they have made some amendments to it. 
and those amendments or recommendations include these overtures with some changes. So I didn't yeah. know if you wanted to talk about that or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's important to note that MTW is wrestling with this um, as an organization and saying, do we need to affirm in this and what do we need to clarify? And they did make some changes that are notable, I think, for our discussion. So yeah, do you have that in front of you? I do, I do. So um, the overture is asking it to be resolved that MTW leaders in line authority over church planting or church development ministry should be ordained elders. In extraordinary cases where this policy is not followed, the appointment of an unordained man who exhibits the qualities of an elder is permissible, but must be approved annually by a three quarters vote CMTW and shall there shall be a record of reasons for such an appointment included in CMTW's minutes that are submitted to the General Assembly. So that is how the overture was worded. And MTW is putting forth in their report a recommendation that it read instead, um, MTW leaders in line authority over church planting or church development ministry will ordinarily be ordained elders um, rather than should be or a requirement. Ordinarily, they will be ordained elders. In the extraordinary case where this policy is not followed, the appointment of, and they crossed out, they asked to not include an unordained man, but instead put another MTW qualified leader, not therefore not specifying a gender, just saying a qualified MTW leader is permissible, but must be approved by CMTW and shall be included in the minutes that are submitted to General Assembly and not have to have like an annual three quarters majority vote of approval. So um, all other leadership appointments in MTW not requiring ordination are open to women and unordained men. So that's what they included in their recommendation for accepting the, I mean, I'm thinking what they're saying is let's accept this overture, but let's with these, with these changes. Is that your understanding? Yeah, that, that's exactly what it sounds like. And I, I think that the, the larger picture of who do we, who are we hiring for positions of leadership within MTW is not, no, no one's arguing that we want to hire qualified people, right? I mean, right. I don't think that's the question. And, and then no one's, no one's arguing that ideally we would have someone who has gone through seminaries, passed ordination exams, done all that work, right? And has a heart for missions. Obviously that that's the ideal person. But at the same way, I think it's once again just putting this this burden of hierarchy 
in an organization where it doesn't need to necessarily be like that and you know that um you know we really want a man but we'll make do with a woman kind of attitude right. it, it's if just we have to. right but then everything's just gonna fall apart right but um yeah and we we certainly don't want to communicate that kind of that that kind of message to you know half the population. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and with with the understanding that you know, uh, and nobody nobody's talking about whether or not a woman can do these things. Yeah. We all know there are plenty of women who can do an an, an excellent job of all the things. Yeah, I think I was really encouraged reading MTW's report because. Yeah. Like you said, I think they have this understanding that first of all, ordinarily we're hiring ordained elders, like that's a given kind of a thing. So that it's, you know, let's not, let's not start pulling apart or looking for problems where there aren't problems. You know, this isn't something that's typically happening, I guess, but I also appreciated the distinction that we're going to hire people who are qualified. So I was encouraged by that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I think it, it's, it shows that there are people who are thinking through these things and, and not just kind of reacting to the current climate. And I think that'll serve, serve them better than, than some of the language that people are trying to commit them to in the long yeah, it's run. That's interesting. When you bring up the reacting to the current climate it just makes me think i i think we have to be careful on both sides of this i because i am seeing a reacting on both ends right this like frustration i i mean i can only speak for myself but it's just it's the frustration i think of um you know i don't feel called to be an ordained pastor or elder that's not what i'm looking for but just an acknowledgement that um, that together, my husband and I, our co-laborers, we work together in ministry. Um, and I don't need, I don't, how do I say this? I don't need an acknowledgement. It's not like he stands up front every Sunday, you know, and acknowledges that he can't do this without me, but, but just a recognition that we as a body need one another, men and women, to minister fully because that is the body of Christ and the body of Christ moving together. So I think there's this frustration I'm hearing from some women that because they're not allowed, the question has now become what they can and cannot do. It's like, there's this push to maybe do more than, or they just leave. I, and I know women in the PCA, dear friends, who have one foot or both out the door. They're just done because their gifts are not being used and being treated with suspicion. But I also think we have reacting to the cultural climate on the other end in which we are trying to almost say more than what scripture is saying in order to protect this slippery slope. It's not that we don't wanna, we're not like halfway down the slope or somewhere along the line. It's like we're, we're feet before the slope even starts and we're gonna put our fence here just so we don't slide down that hill. 
that we are not really in danger of sliding down. Right. So. I, I definitely, I agree with you that there's been a lot of pushback, which has been a long time coming, right? It's uh, every, every generation pushes harder towards some things. And, you know, you look back over even just our lifetime and, and maybe our, our parents' generation of what women did and didn't do, you know, and we kind of make fun of it, but it, it was real. It's, it's their, it was their lives, right? They really didn't uh, have jobs outside of the home. They really didn't make decisions about finances or whatever. And so, you know, the whole women's liberation movement agenda, what have you, has been very much on the forefront for us and our generation as we've become much more, you know, self-sufficient and much more um, able to move between, you know, having a job, not having a job, having children, not having children, all those kinds of things in ways that our moms didn't, they never had that. You know, for me, I was single until I was 38, 39. And, uh, and so, you know, as a single woman coming into the PCA, and this is to your point earlier, if you were to base the church I was at when I started in the PCA, like if that was the standard of all PCA churches, I think we'd be in a much different place <laughs> because it was very different because of the two pastors that were there. And so, yes, there's a lot of that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, you know, every PCA church you go to is going to be pretty different depending on who's who's on the session and what, what the pastor's like. The pastor that I had coming into the PCA was very much about having women do as much as possible and um, pouring into women who showed leadership and showed any kind of um, interest in theology and, and things of that nature. You know, both he and the associate pastor, the associate started at the same time I did and uh, is a very dear friend. He's, he's the one who married my husband and I, um, and he's the one who introduced me. Well, he's the one that really pushed us to get together because he, he knew that, that we would work out okay um, <laughs> but he was very much influential in my formation of church and and all that stuff and and how women women's roles in the church and so I didn't know yeah I had no idea that it was such a struggle for the PCA uh, until years later and you know started really until I married Rob and then you know, we, we started, I started paying more attention to what was going on at GA. And then I realized, wow, we really are having this conversation still. <laughs> we like, this is still a hot button. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, I mean, within the PCA, you have so many, uh, you know, there, there are men in the PCA, I'm sure, who are very upset about that. Like they want all churches to be the same. But again, we are not a strict subscription church, right? right? Like we are, we're good faith. Like we believe that each session is going to make decisions that are wise 
and discerning for their context. And, and that just leaves a big, big can of worms for some people who can't, who just can't abide that, right? Like they want, they want to be in charge of, <laughs> this is how all churches should do things. And so I was a music director for a number of years at that church. And, you know, at one point I remember having a conversation at a conference uh, with some other uh, women, like the three other women that were at the conference. Um, and we, we kind of talked about like what we do in church. Do we ever say anything more than, you know, turn to page 102 in your hymn will, right? And how, how does that play out for people who come in and, you know, women who come in and they just never hear a woman's voice for an hour and a half or whatever? Does that make any difference? And I mean, we all, well, some of us know that that does make a difference. <laughs> you know, these are all questions that each local church has to wrestle with. And, and like you said, you can fall off either way. You can, you can become so over controlling about every everything that happens. I mean, I, I remember distinctly one elder who had trouble with a woman holding the the bread up front. <laughs> like after the pastor, the the ordained teaching elder stood up, fenced the table, blessed the bread, blessed the wine, come forward. And he had a, a woman holding one of the trays. And, and there was an elder who had a problem with that. And it's like, well, let's, let's dig into that. Why? Why do you have a problem with that? What is it about holding the tray of bread that you think is heretical? And, and, how, and how is it not misogyny? <laughs> right? Like, how, how, do you, how do you get around saying that a woman can't even stand there and hold a tray of bread? I mean, I might get in trouble for that, but that's, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who will agree with me on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think in that case, the, the argument I've always heard has just been, you know, it's only ordained elders who serve communion. And so is holding a tray serving, I don't know. I mean, I, these are all conversations that I think from the co-laborers, co-heirs book, that I really appreciated. I don't know that I have answers for most of these questions. I think after reading the book, I only had more questions, you know, it was like, wow, I did not know that was happening. I don't even know what I think about that. But more importantly, like, what does, what does scripture say about that? And um, are we adding burdens uh, that scripture does not have, you know, or the, are we binding the conscience in areas where scripture does not bind? And I think the answer to that is yes, and in some areas we are. And so what do we do with that? You know, I also want to mention that when we're talking about the things that women do, even generationally, you know, our our mothers not working outside the home. I don't currently work outside the home. You know, you just got a new job um, and there's, it's, it's across the board, like it's very varied, right? Um, with women in our, in our culture, in our churches today with jobs and balancing home life and children and, and work outside the home or inside the home. I think that's the thing that's been really frustrating for me as a pastor's wife 
you know, where do women feel gifted and called? Because there are areas in which I really enjoy, like I really, really enjoy teaching women's Bible study. I love it. My degree is early childhood education. I like it. <laughs> I don't love it. There are there are moments where I just, the creative aspect of things, I really enjoy, you know, and that's where my gifting is. So those things fit into maybe a typical idea of a, of a pastor's wife. But I also really, really like talking about difficult things. I like to talk about politics. I like to talk about religion and scripture and doctrine and theology and I like to serve in my community. I like to do things um, that are more justice driven, uh, both, you know, abortion and, um, and, and the lives of people mattering in all areas. You know, I like to be involved in the community in those ways. That's not typically something that is associated with, with a pastor's wife. So I guess what I want to say is I think there are women who are doing what they really love to do and it fits really well in what our culture has defined what women should do. And that's great. But there are women who are gifted and doing what they love to do and it doesn't fit culturally in what we've defined what women should do. And I think we have to also be aware of that. And in this conversation, I think what that I get angry because I, I do think that there are times we have these discussions where we're pitting women against each other. And I see it all the time, um, particularly in like mom's groups that I'm in. It's, we do feel better if we're at home with our kids and not letting someone else raise them. But that's not always the best option for some women. And, and having good daycares or good childcare is an okay option also. Because regardless of who said it, it does take a village and a church to raise our children. It's not just us. And there's truth to that. So I think we, I just want to be mindful that if you are being home with your kids and you love that, great, that's great. That's great. Serve God in those ways. Don't, I don't think we're looking down on you. I don't think this conversation is saying if you're work, if you're not working outside the home in our generation, then you aren't you know, you're somehow deprived or whatever. I don't think we're saying that. At least no, we're not saying that. We're not saying that. We're saying use your gifting and let us use our gifting. Right. Um, I think that's right. what we're saying. Well, and yeah, absolutely. And for me, it's been uh, super interesting becoming a mom later in life. Uh, and and having lived so so much life on my own as a single woman in the workplace and all that good stuff, for me, coming into um, you know th this kind of culture has been really a shock in some ways because. Like I said before, I forget that people are still having these conversations about, you know, are women supposed to be doing things? Right. <laughs> um, and so I, I was a little bit surprised that we're still doing this. You know, so much of it, I think, kind of comes with this baggage of, I don't know, maybe fear, fear that we're doing the wrong thing or, or you know, this insecurity that, that we all have 
particularly as women, I mean, men certainly have it too. I don't want to say that they don't. They have it in different ways, I think. So, you know, for us as women, we constantly have this, this insecurity be insecurity about ourselves and just who we are. And we want, we either go to the extreme, we always go to extremes, right? Like we always go to this, like either I'm just gonna double down on every decision I make, like it's the only decision that's right. Or I'm going to constantly be worried that that um, I'm I'm screwing something up, or I'm not being all that I'm supposed to be, and you know it. And that that kind of target shifts around a lot because we we keep having to like explain ourselves to everybody because we're all just we're all so judgmental, right? We're also judgmental of each other and of everything that other people do. And, and that, I think that is particular of women. I really do. I think women are our own worst enemies at times where we are, are um, you know, kind of constantly looking over each other's shoulders, like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, even to, you know, I wouldn't wear my hair like that or <laughs> whatever. And then we, we're self-deprecating about it, right? Like we, we end up like just kind of crucifying ourselves for things that we've done wrong. And so, yeah, I, I definitely see where women's roles just kind of get, I mean, we, we create them for ourselves almost as much as the society does. And so trying to blame, you know, what we're seeing now is like this kind of a wholesale, it's everything is, men's faults and, mm. and particularly white men right? like that that's the pecking order right now and you know there's there's a lot of stuff that uh white men have done for sure I'm not gonna argue with that but um you know I think that kind of painting it with this brush of yeah you know we don't we didn't have any we didn't have any responsibility for any of it is not particularly true it's not no accurate. It's not accurate. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I just, I think we need to, we need to own that we do this to each other a lot of times too. I don't see this much critique over what men do um, in any area, really. And yet we are so much critiquing our own, at least I am, I am constantly critiquing myself and women around me. I just, I'm, I'm constantly doing it never really living up to whatever standard I think it needs to be. Um, and some of that probably just comes from a, if I'm really honest, I don't, I'm still trying to work out my salvation. I'm still trying to earn it in some ways. Um, and I need that constant reminder. I can't. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point because I, we do in some ways think that we need to earn our value as women. And that is a whole other episode. <laughs> um, you know, earning our, our place, our right to the table, however you want to phrase it, we, we are. We're very much still saying, yes, we deserve to be here and here's why, instead of resting in our identity in Christ and who he has made us to be knowing that he loves us and he he calls us his daughters regardless of of how how we line up with 
the, all the standards that we put on ourselves and all the standards other people are putting on us. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to, to end on. That's